Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The scripture reading today is taken from several verses in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jonathan, and I am one of the elders here at Christ City Kits. Um, and it is my pleasure to bring God's word for you this morning in this topic entitled Honesty versus Deception. Um, but before we do all of that, uh, I need help, and so do you. And so let us ask our God who is able to provide this help. Father God, we are grateful that we can gather here today and this morning to hear your word. And Father, I do need help. I pray that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, that what I proclaim today would be truth, your truth, and only your truth. And Father, I also pray that you would be with each one of my brothers and sisters here, and to each one who may not be a brother and sister here this morning yet, that you would soften their hearts, that they might hear what is true, that they might see your beauty, your goodness, your truthfulness, your faithfulness, your mercy, your compassion, and also your justice. <coughs> Father, we pray that these words would not just land uh, in our minds, would not just be an intellectual exercise, but would land on each of our hearts, that it might change us from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the 2002 Hollywood hit film called Catch Me If You Can dramatized and reignited the life of one of the most daring con men in recent history. In his brief but notorious criminal career, Frank Abagnale, also known as Frank Williams, Robert Conrad, Frank Adams, and Robert Monjo, apparently uh, donned a pilot's uniform co-piloted a Pan Am jet, masqueraded as a supervising resident in a hospital, practiced law without a license, and cashed over $2.5 million 
in forged checks all before the age of 21. He was able to win the confidence of people because he made them believe that he was telling the honest truth. They always look at the pinstripes, referring to his uh, well-dressed manner. Indeed, many were fooled because of his dress. He played the honest part. But more poignantly, banks and tellers were often fooled by his checks because they did not really know what the authentic, genuine item ought to look like. What's the easiest way to tell counterfeit? By knowing what the real item looks like. By knowing the truth. While we are knee-deep in our series in the Proverbs, and in some sense the goal of this series is to so immerse ourselves in the truth, in true wisdom, so that we are able to tell its counterfeit. We must remember that the Proverbs is unlike any other wisdom literature. It's not the experienced wisdom of a gray-haired old man, though Proverbs 16.30 does talk about the gray hair and how it's a crown of glory. It's not the experienced wisdom of a gray-haired old man or woman. Rather, it is wisdom grounded in the truest thing possible, the unchanging, everlasting character of God. It's wisdom grounded in the truest thing possible, the ultimate, unchanging, everlasting character of God. It's wisdom grounded in the ultimate reality, where God is sovereign, he's good, he is the wise king who compassionately reveals his character and his wisdom. This is why it's so key in the Proverbs that the Proverbs plead with us to turn our hearts, to incline our ears, to fear and to trust him. As we examine the topic of honesty versus deception, my aim this morning is to remind you of the truth that you would taste and see that the Lord is good, that you would, by Christ's enabling power, walk in the true wisdom of an honest life. My outline is three points this morning. Number one, let's be honest about truth and reality. Let's be honest about truth and reality. Number two, the truth about deception. It's foolishness. <laughs> the truth about deception, it's foolishness. And of course, number three, how to live wisely in honesty. Let's be honest about truth and reality. The truth about deception, it's foolishness and how to live wisely in honesty. So let's dive in. The first point, let's be honest about truth and reality. You see, part of the challenge when we, that we face when discussing honesty and deception is the very definition of truth itself. In our postmodern world, truth often gets entangled with personal experiences or empirical observations. Scientifically, we deem something to be true when we can repeatedly observe a hypothesis. Sociologically, we deem something to be true when multiple people have the same experiences. According to these views, to be honest is to be true to the observable facts, right? 
or the observable experiences. But I submit to you that being honest goes beyond merely conveying empirical facts. It's about living according to God's revealed truth. In fact, relying on the empirical path can lead us astray. Several years ago, the National Geographic dedicated an entire issue to the subject of lying. With the sensational title, Why We Lie, the science behind our complicated relationship with the truth. And here was its core message. It says this, lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease in ways big and small to strangers, co-workers, friends, and loved ones. Our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental to us as our need to trust others, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. Now, from an empirical perspective, what the article proposes seems reasonable. Common worldly wisdom would dictate that to bend the truth to your advantage just makes good personal and business sense. You know, we even have stereotypes for these kinds of things, right? Used car salesman, politician, just to name a few. Now, those are in the negative, but how about shrewd businessman, smart entrepreneur, crafty marketing, just to name a few. But you see the problems with these, right? If indeed to lie is to be human, well, what does it mean to be honest and true to ourselves? You see, while the conclusions of the National Geographic article may seem true empirically in a fallen world, it is not the final word on truth. The Bible presents a reality that cannot merely be observed. Reflect, for instance, on the Genesis account, Genesis 1 and 2, where the true, good, and beautiful God spoke creation into existence. Have you ever pondered, you ever thought about this, the connection between God's honest speech and God's creative act? God's honest speech and God's creative act. God's words are inherently true and effective. God cannot speak a lie. His spoken word brought forth the cosmos because his words define reality. Ephesians 1.11 reminds us that this God works all things according to the counsel of his will, and Hebrews 1.3 says that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, this doesn't just apply to the cosmos. When God created Adam and Eve... When God created humans, he created them in his image. He created them for honest, good, beautiful relationship, fellowship with the true God, listening to his true voice. But as we know, the Genesis account takes a significant turn in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve, they choose to listen, what, to a different voice, the voice of 
the deceiver. This false voice led to a chain reaction of deception, and we witness the far-reaching consequences of that pivotal choice today. We see injustices, we see wars, we see disorders, we see lots of deception, and we see sin. The Apostle Paul described it this way in Romans 1.25. Look at it with me. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. The effects of this original deception, they continue to reverberate throughout human history. We live in a deceptive fallen world that is fundamentally at odds with the ultimate reality of God's intended creation. Every time we engage in deception, we are reflecting the original sin once again. And thus the topic of honesty versus deception, it's not just one of pure observed scientific practice. That is, in other words, the telling of truth of observable facts. Rather, it speaks to the very heart of whether we are aligned with the true ultimate reality of God, whether we are aligned with his kingdom, with his intended order of creation, his revealed will. In other words, it speaks to our source of knowledge. Of course, why it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That knowledge of the Holy One is insight. To deceive, therefore, is to propose something other than this ultimate reality and to believe it. Well, that's the big picture. And I wanted to give you this big picture in order that you might see the truth about deception, that it's foolishness. It is foolishness to go against the truth of the living God. But we are talking about wisdom, the moment by moment, individual detailed decisions that we make as individuals. And the Proverbs have a surprising amount to say about this. And so I want to just spend a few minutes looking in detail about how the Proverbs describe deception and the picture of a deceptive fool. First, it paints the vivid picture of how the fool misuses, or dare I say, abuse, abnormal use, abuse, their various body parts. Proverbs 6, 12 through 14, for instance. Let's look there. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Or Proverbs 10, 10. Look at that with me. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. You know, whenever I read these passages, I can't help but think of the classic and famous Seinfeld episode titled The Wink. 
For those unfamiliar, uh, by the way, I'll post this on the chat so you can watch the little clip. This episode follows George Costanza, who, after getting squirted in the eye by a flying piece of grapefruit pulp, has an uncontrollable wink. And he innocently winks at his boss, Mr. Wilhelm, when Wilhelm inquires about the tardiness of George's co-worker, who then interprets his winking, Wilhelm then interprets his winking as insinuating that the opposite is true. And in classical Seinfeld style, a series of hilariously misinterpreted events ensue, leading to this great comical chain reaction of misunderstandings. Now, George's abuse, abuse of his eyelids underscores how hilarious and how foolish it is when our body parts rebel against their intended use. In like manner, notice again how the Proverbs describes the fool and how it contrasts with God's intended creation. The fool is a worthless person, it says, of no value because he no longer reflects the image of God. He is a man who misuses his speech, spews falsehoods. Unlike God who spoke true reality into existence, the fool compounds the sin of the world by his falsehoods. He is one who pretends not to see the whole truth by winking his eye, who misuses every body part as he pridefully declares that he is going against reality. Now, what's interesting is that these are all externals. And the externals are what betray our internal heart condition. Look with me at Proverbs 10, 31 through 32. The mouth of the righteous, mouth external, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, internal. But the perverse tongue, external, will be cut off. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Or look with me at Proverbs 12, 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. In other words, despite our best efforts to try to hide our deceitfulness, given the right circumstances, it always comes out. This principle, by the way, is also why security experts and psychologists and people at the uh, airports in Israel, for instance, are able to use micro-expressions in the science of threat determination. Now, my point isn't that we must control and police every wink of the eye or every point of the finger. The application point here is that we must humbly consider the state of our hearts that we might glorify our God to the fullest extent, both in body and soul. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Just as George's wink led to an unforeseen cascade of events, our hearts manifest in both our words and actions. Deception, whether in speech or bodily expressions, is a reflection of the heart's condition. The chain reaction of George Cassandra's wink actually illustrates another aspect of the deceptive fool. 
you'll notice that our actions are never done in isolation. They live out in community and in relationships. We are relational people. Now in the skit, in the, in the Seinfeld skit, Kramer, another Seinfeld character, also interprets one of George's wings as meaning something else. And he proceeds to make his own foolish decisions accordingly. You see, our vertical deceit against the true and righteous God always works itself out horizontally in our relationships with others. And this is the second way that the Proverbs describe the deceptive fool. Proverbs 11.9 warns us, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. In a community, the deceiver's words can be like poison. It can erode trust. It causes divisions. They weaken the very bonds that hold us together. I'm sure you've all witnessed this sort of thing. Their reckless actions may seem cunning in the short term. But look at Proverbs 14, verses 15 to 16. It cautions us on how to respond. The simple believes everything. But the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. The fool may lead others astray momentarily, but the wise recognize the perilous path and they choose to tread carefully. By the way, this whole dynamic that I just described is most oft was clearly seen in gossip. Last December, I had the opportunity to take my daughter Annalise out on a date to see the Anne of Green Gables musical playing at the Gateway Theatre in Richmond. And in that musical is a hilarious song entitled, Did You Hear? Did You Hear? The words go something like this. Did you hear? Did you hear? Tell me something. Tell me everything, my dear. I promise you I'll never tell a soul. The song then proceeds to musically illustrate the spread of gossip. These half-truths about Anne Shirley to the rest of the community. Of course, not only does this deceitful news uh, about Anne spread, but so does the deceitfulness of the promise of I'll never tell a soul. And by the end of the song, everyone in the community has some sort of idea about what sort of despicable human being that Anne is when it is the foolishness and deceitful hearts of the gossipers that are on full display. It's quite hilarious to watch. Here's how Proverbs chapter 26 verses 18 to 19 describe this. Look at that with me. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Oh, I'm only joking. You see, as much as we find songs like this humorous, you know, it's also so convicting. The fool cannot distinguish between cruelty and humor and does not recognize the devastating wildfire effects that it can have on a community. Now, often we deceive in jest, or perhaps to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others, or even as a way of protecting ourselves. But all of it 
is deceitful. For it plans our own advantage at the disadvantage of the community. It plans our own advantage at the disadvantage of the community. Selfish goals always demand deception. Selfish goals demand deception. One of the go-to texts that I often bring counselees is James 3. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vow practice. Now I invite you to work the math backwards. Where there is disorder, vile practice, in relationships, you can be sure that there is bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. And hence, deception must be at play. James says that out of this heart will come boastful things, what? That are false to the truth. So let me just pause here briefly and ask you, are you being truthful or are you being deceptive? What goals are you living for? Are you living for the goal of pleasing God and the humble surrender of self that this demands? Or are you living for selfish goals that enslave our souls to deception? There's one more aspect that the Proverbs speak of the deceptive fools, and it is in terms of ethics in the social sphere. The greater community, if you will, the marketplace, or the courts of justice. And the picture that the, the Proverbs paint for us is one of uneven scales. Look with me at Proverbs 11.1, 1, in contrast to Proverbs 16.11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. You see, in the ancient context, traders used carved stones as standard weights, and they carried them in a pocket or in a pouch. And a deceitful trader carried different weights, one slightly too heavy, for purchase and another slightly too light for selling. It was generally accepted that weights had up to a 6% error balance, uh, error tolerance rather, so deceitful traders would simply use uneven weights to their advantage at the disadvantage of the greater society. And you can imagine the trust eroding effect that this would have. A long time ago, my son Eric was just a little over a week old, and we had just taken him home from the hospital. Now, Eric was a little bit jaundiced before we left hospital, and so, and so the health authorities were um, a little bit concerned whether or not we, uh, he was getting enough nutrients. His weight was a little bit borderline when we left the hospital, and so a community nurse followed up shortly after we got home. 
When she came, she brought her own scale, and to my amazement, was not quite careful with the tear weight. She had inadvertently placed her scale on her dresser, where something actually impeded the accurate measurement. Now, you need to understand the psychology of us as the perceived psychology, anyway, uh, of us as first-time parents, a little nervous, um, just being told that our son was a little bit underweight, jaundiced. And of course, we had all these kind of um, perhaps irrational thoughts of our son being taken away to social services or that we're starving our son somehow, that we're not performing well enough as first-time parents. And, you know, all of those things that you get as first-time parents. And so when it showed that he had lost weight, we were very much concerned whether the scales were accurate. Now, of course, this wasn't intentional <laughs> on the part of the nurse. But you can sense the injustice and the indignation that one would feel if it were intentional. Now, that's on the receiving end. Now, consider how often we're tempted to modify the scales ourselves, to fudge balance sheets, to be slightly deceptive, creative in our taxes, or to creatively round figures that multiply error margins in your favor, or how about bait-and-switch marketing? Or have you ever bought a used car, reported one thing to the government to pay less taxes while agreeing to a different price with the seller? You know, this type of dishonesty, dishonesty seems innocuous, but in the end, it not only erodes the trust of everyone else in society, it also costs every other taxpayer more money. But even that is not the most important thing. The most important thing, the Proverbs say, is that God, the creator and upholder of the moral order, of ultimate true reality, this God is repulsed by it. He calls it an abomination. And his offended moral sensibility it can't be passive. It demands an active response. It demands his active response. If you think about it logically, otherwise God would be relegated to the role of a spectator. And try as we might, that God is not. Look again at Proverbs 10.31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Who do you think is the agent who cuts off the perverse tongue? Or Proverbs 12, 2. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. Who do you think is the one who does the condemning? A man of evil devices, by the way, is one who advantages himself at the expense of the community. The very essence of these actions, they stand in stark contrast to the truth, to the unity and the love that characterizes God's divine nature. They stand in stark contrast to the ultimate reality. So do you see, my friends, how foolish deception is. It's as foolish as going up against the right and true God.
And so how then do we live wisely in honesty? You see, we've got a bit of a problem because if I've done my job correctly, all of you ought to be a little bit convicted right now, including me. Because all of us have been deceitful. Remember, so prevalent is the fact that humans lie that the observed effect is that it is at the very core of what it means to be human. Every one of us has been deceitful in individual ways, in ways that affect our relationships, in community, and in ways that come out in our ethics. Basically, if you have ever sinned, you've been deceitful, either in the sin itself or in the cover-up for the sin. Just think immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first sin that they committed after that? Well, they tried to cover it up. Deception. Partial truths. Now imagine every single act of sin from Adam all the way down to you. Every single act of sin and every act of deception to cover up that sin, those sins, God actively opposes. The weight of that is quite enormous. So prevalent is this reality that the Proverbs state in Proverbs chapter 20, verses 8 through 10, these three verses. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And so we ask the question, who can say, I am clean from sin indeed? The prophet Jeremiah also reminds us of this truth in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, the truth is that we all fall short. Apart from the mercy and the compassion of God, we would all stand condemned. So the first step, the first step to living wisely in honesty is that actually we must throw ourselves at the mercy of God. Because where else are we going to turn to? More deception? We must throw ourselves at the mercy of God and recognize that apart from his divine pardon, apart from his divine mercy, we are hopelessly condemned. And in this, something remarkable plays out. You see, while God is supremely just, and deception does offend him tremendously, it is also his character to be merciful. It is also his character to be compassionate and slow to anger, and to satisfy both, God being the active upholder of his right universe and of truth did something quite unthinkable. In our place, in our stead, he sent his son Jesus to take on the just punishment for our sins. Look at how this plays out in the Proverbs where the Proverbs say that a man of evil devices, he condemns, and where we should be rightly condemned. Jesus took our place to be condemned. Instead, by hanging on a cross like a common criminal, 
God advantaged us at the expense of his own son. While our perverse, abusive speech should have been cut off, guess what? Isaiah 53, 7 says, tells us that Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was abused. Jesus was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. Where we stood before a holy God, rightly condemned with our uneven measures and our uneven scales, God in his mercy balances the scales of justice with the blood of his very own son. Where Adam tarnished the image of the human race with his first deception, Jesus redeemed mankind. He restored in man his true purpose, his proper purpose of reflecting the image of God. And so the first step, my friends, to living wisely in honesty is that we must throw ourselves at the mercy of God. We must recognize that apart from a divine pardon, apart from the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, that we are hopelessly condemned. Now the second step is this, that we must be honest about our deception. We must stop our own self-deception. We must name it as sin, as foolishness, and ask Jesus for forgiveness. Ask for his grace to lay it aside. Have you done that today? But there's a third thing that actually we must do. And the third thing that we must do is that we must become a truth teller. You see, a fool doesn't become wise merely when they stop being foolish. A liar doesn't stop being a liar when they stop telling falsehoods. A fool becomes wise when they begin to walk in wisdom. Likewise, a liar stops being a liar when they begin to tell the truth. And the way that we do that is by desiring, treasuring, coveting the truth that is true wisdom personified in Jesus Christ. Proverbs twenty-three twenty-three exhorts us, By truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Proverbs 13.20 Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Jesus said this in John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. True wisdom is personified in Jesus. The Proverbs describe truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding as something so valuable that if we are able to attain it, to purchase it, that we ought to hold on to it. Don't sell it. In fact, the value is contrasted with the apparent riches that we think we will get when we deceive. 
Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Or 19.22, what is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than, than a liar. Excuse me. God in his abundant mercy actually offers us this incredible invitation. And though it costs our Lord abundantly, he offers it to us freely. And all he asks of us is that we abide in him, that we give up our idolatry that leads us to deception, and that we follow him. Look at some of the prophecy that talks about this Messiah, Isaiah 55.1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do you want to be an honest person? Hold fast to Jesus, the truth. One final note. Jesus redeems humanity that we might testify to the true reality <clears throat> that is his kingdom this ultimate reality that I've been talking about and he asks us to do that by speaking the truth in love Ephesians 4.15 for the purpose of building up his body it's for the sake of unity that we do this Proverbs 12.19 truthful lips endure forever but a lying tongue is but for a moment there's a sense that when we speak truth, when we give honest testimony, when indeed our yeses are yeses and our noes are our noes, that it will endure forever because it builds up his kingdom. When we use our faculties for the true purpose that they were intended, instead of abusing them, when we are honest with our ethics, when we build our up our community and our relationships that point one another to Christ, we advance his kingdom. And God says that this will prevail forever because his kingdom will endure forever. Well, friends, let me close with this. Knowing the truth ought to change the way in which we walk. You see, when we gain new insight into reality, we would be wise to change course so that we might more fully live into that reality, right? But if you're like me, so often we are tempted to ignore reality, aren't we? We're tempted to say ignorance is bliss. <laughs> we like it the old way. So my closing challenge to you is this. Will you just be content accepting, as most of our culture does, that deception is just part of the human experience and continue to live in foolishness? and use that as an excuse? Or will you, by Christ's power, walk in honest wisdom, 
knowing that he has paid the ultimate price to enable you to do so. Which will it be? That's my challenge to you. The words of Proverbs 35 through 9 are very poignant and they serve as a very good template for a closing prayer. So I'm going to read that and then we'll pray together. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my Lord, of my God. Father God, indeed, every word of yours proves true, and you are a shield to those who take refuge in you. May we be people who are people of the truth. Forgive us for our falsehood. Remove far from us falsehood and lying. And give us neither poverty nor riches. Feed us with the food that is needful for us. May we be satisfied with the bread of life. May we be satisfied in you, Jesus, alone. And may we walk wisely as people of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.